So in verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, let's listen to Dan as he unpacks that. Hey guys, welcome to morning number three. Morning number three. Um, so far this week, we've looked at a bunch of different stuff. Uh, we've looked at the idea that the word that you have in your hands right there is actually God's words, the creator words to us. Um, and it's actually the word, the gospel, the only gospel that saves. Um, we've heard that there's heaven and hell that are actually on the line here, and that there's only one right way to only one way to be right with God. Um, we've seen that that is through faith, through looking to what Jesus has done, not what we do. The Christian way is the only right way. But this morning what I want to ask and what I want us to think about is, is the Christian life a good life? Because in one sense, what we've heard is enough to just jump right in on this faith thing. If heaven and hell are on the line then obviously what you'd do is you'd pick the thing that gets you to heaven, faith, right? But you could imagine people thinking to themselves, and this would be a silly thing to think, but heaven and hell are a long way off. I'm not sure when they're coming. And living for this life seems like it's pretty good, right? Um, people, people can seem pretty free. They can do whatever they want, whenever they want. And I can't. People seem to be able to fit in easily. They can swear when they need to swear, make the jokes they need to make jokes to fit in, and I can't. People seem to just go through life with no concerns, to have no care at all, and here I am stuck knowing that hell is real, and my friends and my family are facing it. The Christian way is the right way, but is it a good life? Is the Christian life a good life? And this is what this passage is actually going to help us deal with this morning. And I want to say to you guys that for us to hold on to faith for the rest of our lives, we need to see this. You see, it is the people that lose hold of this idea that we're going to wrestle with this morning that lose hold on Jesus and lose eternal life. And so hear these things this morning, write in your notes again, do what you've got to do to pay attention and get that the Christian life is the good life. Um, but I'm also aware that some of you here haven't yet committed your life to Jesus. You're not yet a Christian. And so this morning what I want you to do is I want you to consider what the Christian life has to offer. What is actually there in the Christian life? Heaven, hell, we've already seen those things. But what about right now? What does the Christian life offer? But this morning, I'm not going to give you a chance uh, to, to repent, to put your trust in Jesus. What I want you to do is I want you to just consider this stuff this morning. I want you to consider this stuff today. You've heard a bunch of things all this week. And I want to push this so strongly that this, what we're doing this week isn't about what we feel. 
It's not about getting up on this high. It's about considering what is the true, what is the good life, and choosing it. And so today, spend today, if you're unsure where you're standing, spend this morning considering, is the Christian life the life that I can live? Is this something I can commit to? And that's what we're going to start doing this morning. We're going to consider what is the Christian life? Is it a good life? Um, I'm actually going to ask God to help us do this. Uh, And so why don't you bow your heads and and let's pray together. Dear God, we have heard so much from your word already this week. Uh, We have seen huge things in your scriptures that heaven's real, that hell's real, that there is the reality that we're all far from you, that without you we're lost. Um, that is only by Jesus and trusting what he has done that we can be saved. These are big things. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember those and also give us energy to keep reflecting on what your word has to say because there are so many riches in it. And so this morning we ask that you'd be opening up our eyes and our hearts to see what your scriptures have to say about what the Christian life is like, what we have in Christ. Amen. Okay, we're going to track through a bunch of things. I think it's four, and I think there's some sub-points. But the first thing that I want us to see is the Christian life is free. Have a look at verse 23 in your Bibles. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith was to come um, would be revealed. That was to come would be revealed. We saw this idea yesterday, right? We saw this idea that before Jesus came, we were all like prisoners uh, locked in the jail cell, awaiting uh, condemnation, away, awaiting um, judgment. We were on death row. And we were locked up because of God's perfect standards that we couldn't meet, stuck in our sin, locked up. But I want to say that this is saying it's not just those who are following the works of the law that are stuck in this way. It is for everyone who is outside faith in Jesus. Every single person who isn't trusting in Jesus is stuck under the, the custody, under the rule of the law, stuck in their own sin. Which means it is not true that your friends who do whatever they want, whenever they want, are really free. They're actually just stuck in their own sin. Now, I reckon that's really hard for us to see, that those friends that are doing whatever they want, whenever they want, are actually not free. Um, I think it's particularly hard when you're young. Because people have just started doing crazy stuff. It's only actually been for me recently where I've noticed that those friends that I've had that seemed like they were living the free life were actually living in slavery. So I had this one friend. He was, he was very... still have him, actually. He's still one of my good friends. Um, but he was my best friend, started high school. Um, and we got along really well. We'd known each other all the way through primary school. Um, but then during high school, he decided that the free life that he was going to live involved smoking. Involved marijuana, involved drinking. And at the start, it did seem like he was free, right? He could go do these things whenever he wanted. He'd leave during lunchtime and he'd smoke with his friends, he'd come back for the rest of the school. Um, He'd go out to parties and he'd be able to do whatever he wants there. Uh, It seemed like he was free. But what happened for my friend is slowly he got stuck, slowly he got pulled deeper and deeper into sin. And for him, he became skinnier and skinnier. He lost more and more weight. He became more and more anxious. He became less and less himself. And so it became hard to be friends with him 
because he couldn't be himself. He couldn't laugh and joke and have fun because he was anxious all the time because of what he's been doing to his body. And so I met this friend again a week ago at a party, um, and it was, it was awesome. He, he was like his old self again. He was laughing, we were joking, but the only reason he could do that is because he was several drinks down into the night. That was the only time that he could be himself. This life, this life that the, the world seems to offer of freedom, of doing whatever you want whenever you want, that is not the life of freedom. It's a life that seems free at the start, but it's actually a life that enslaves. And what these verses say is Jesus frees us from that life. Have a look at verse 24. So that law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This verse shows us that that law was put in place like a guardian, like a teacher. And, and the teacher's job was to show us just how stuck in sin we were. To push us to stop trusting in ourselves, but to trust in Jesus to save us. And if this happens, if you listen to this guardian, if you listen to this teacher, what happens is you no longer need it. You no longer need the teaching. You no longer need the law. You're free. And I want to say there's three things that this freedom means. It means that you're free from the power of sin. I think there's things in our lives that we hate, that we do again and again, that we just wish we wouldn't. Do you know the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, the power of sin over you has been taken. Which means it is possible to put to death sin in your life. It is possible to be free of them. In Jesus, you can see what sin really brings. You can see the slavery it really brings. And when you come to Jesus, you actually get His Spirit. And so it does a work in you to change you, to free you from these things. So you, if you are someone who is in Jesus, can have real freedom from the power of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect for the rest of your days. You're still going to stumble and fall. But it does mean you can put sin to death. Those things in your life that are entangling you, those things in your life that you hate, that you keep doing, you've been freed from. Because we're freed from the power of the sin. That's the first one. We are freed from the penalty of sin. That's the second one. You know that eternal judgment that we deserved? Death, hell, that was rightly ours for the way that we have lived. That is being completely and fully taken by Jesus. You're being completely freed from the penalty of your sin. Which means you have absolutely nothing to fear in death. Absolutely nothing to fear in the life that is to come. We are freed from the penalty of sin. Thirdly, we are freed from the shame of sin. Do you know what the law's big job was? It was a guardian, it was a teacher, and it was teaching us just how inadequate we were. How often and how completely we fail to meet God's standard. But in Christ, we're not under the law anymore. If you trust in Jesus, you are completely forgiven. When God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your sin. He sees per God's, Jesus' perfect obedience when He looks at you. 
And so when you sin, when you fall, you don't need to feel ashamed as if you can't come to God. Because God looks at you differently now. We are freed from shame. That's the first big thing. We're looking at freedom. That is the Christian life. The second thing is the Christian life is the life of the child of God. You are a child of God. Have a look at verse 26. So, in Christ Jesus, have a look at your Bibles. This is great to do. Follow with me if you can. Verse 26 of chapter 3. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. By faith, not only are we freed from um, the power, penalty, and shame of sin, we are made God's children. And I think there's three big things that this means. The first one is status. When you become a Christian, you you receive the greatest status that anybody ever could get. You become a child of the Creator God. Your Father is the one who put the stars in the sky, who is keeping the world spinning, who decides when the sun sets and the sun rises. That is your Father who does that. You are a child of that God. Do you know people spend their lives chasing after status? They want to be the rich kid or the really talented kid or the kid with all the friends. But in Christ, you've been given the ultimate status, which means you don't need to chase those things. You're a child of the Creator God. The second thing is security. Life can be hard sometimes. Sometimes we don't know why things are happening and they suck. But... When it is your Father who is in control of literally everything, you can know that whatever is going on, it is being done for your good. And this actually goes beyond our life now. You know that for you, if you're trusting in Jesus, even if everything was taken from you, even if your house burnt down, you lost all of your friends, even if you were tortured and killed, nobody could take heaven from you. That's the security you have. You are God's child, and he will see you get there. If you're in Christ, you have ultimate security. Third thing is intimacy. Now, I don't know what your relationship with your parents are like. I imagine a group this big, there is a lot of you that have had really hard relationships with your dad. But when you are made a child of God, there is no sense in which God is someone who's aloof, who's far off, who's uninterested. Now, Paul wants to make this point crystal clear. And so he says in chapter 4, flip over there, verse 6, he says, Because you, you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. See that word there, Abba? It's a funny word, right? But that word means, um, it's like the personal word for Father. It's like Dad. And that means God is actually inviting you to call him Dad. Dear Father, He is not somebody who is standoffish, who who doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. And here's the truth. He does that knowing that you have failed, that you have flaws. He knows all of your flaws. He knows everything that you've done that you shouldn't. And He knows everything that you will do that you shouldn't. He knows all of those things Yet he wants a relationship with you where you can call him dad. Which means you have the ear of the God of the universe. 
who knows you, who cares for you, who loves to hear from you. If you're in Christ, you have an intimate relationship with God. That's the big second thing. You're a child of God. The third thing to see is, Christian, you are united. Have a look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's looking at these big divisions that existed in his time. Jew, Gentile, Jew, non-Jew. Slave, free, obviously different. Male, female, obviously different. Paul's looking at these big divisions that were happening at that time. And he's saying, they mean nothing now that you have Christ. Divisions for him that were like um, Queensland supporter, New South Wales supporter, or... Dubbo versus Wellington on one side, Team Dubbo. Um, iPhone versus Android, these big divisions that existed. And he's saying, now that we have come to faith in Jesus, these distinctions between us, they mean nothing. Now, why is that? Well, it's because what we share in Jesus is so much bigger than all of those things. So much bigger and deeper. If you've come to Christ, you share with all other Christians the same Father, which means your brothers and sisters, the same future, the same concerns, the same purpose. All these things we share in common make any other of those differences seem trivial. It's, it would be like um, choosing your friends based on what color they liked. Those distinctions just mean nothing now. On Saturday, I was um, Sunday, I was chatting to a guy that I hadn't well, I'd seen around, but I hadn't really spoken to in about 10 years. Um, the last time I spoke to him was on a water polo trip when we were both like 13 years old. Uh, and this was a weird water polo trip because when you go on a trip, um, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but um, you sit in a, you're in a cabin with a bunch of guys and girls, for the girls, not for me, separated cabins, who aren't Christians. And so they're just talking about crazy, gross stuff. Um, and this guy was part of that. And, I, and so it was a bit hard to me, for me to relate to him uh, and chat to him because they were talking about all of this stuff that I just wanted to have nothing to do with. Um, now, I saw this guy again um, at church on Sunday night. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he was like, I'm a Christian. And that just changed everything. All of a sudden, I was like, this dude has the same father as I do. This dude has the same concerns as I do. This dude has the same purpose in his life as I do. And so all of a sudden, it wasn't like there was this weird distance. It was like, we're brothers. That is what you have with every single Christian. I heard this story. I'm not sure if it's true. Um, I should have fact-checked it before I came, but I didn't. Um, but apparently, there was this workplace that were doing this, this challenge to see who had the most Facebook friends, and none of the Christians were allowed to play because they had too many Facebook friends. Because you just meet these people, and you're like... I know so much about you. I know all of your friends. I know what you're concerned about. And you become friends quickly. In Christ, there is now a reason to have complete unity between people that are so different. Just take a moment to look at your leaders. I don't know if you've done this, but we're all very different people. Um, I don't know how to describe all of the differences because there's so many of them. <laughs> but there is nothing here that unites us all other than the fact that we all trust in Jesus who has saved us. This kind of thing is not possible outside Jesus. 
There will always be things that divide people. You'll notice it in your schools. There's the sporty crew who, who love sport. There's the druggy crew who love drugs. There's the party crew, the video game crew, and they all just hang out together. The only thing that can break those real solid walls that divide people is Jesus. But now I want to say for you guys right now, it's going to take work to, to get this unity, to understand this unity. What you'll need to do for yourself to, to finally realize what you have in the Christian life is to realize how deep what you have in Christ is. And we're going to actually talk a little bit more about this yesterday, tomorrow. Not yesterday. That would be crazy. But we're going to, we're going to think about it because it's so important to get the unity that we now have in Christ. But for now, get this. Jesus has made a way for us to be completely unified. How good is that? The fourth big thing to say is, if you're a Christian, you're an heir. Have a look at that final verse, chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, there's a couple of steps in what Paul's just done there. He goes, if you belong to Jesus, if you're a Christian, then you are Abraham's seed, which just means you're part of his line. Um, which means you're actually going to be someone, here's his next step, who will inherit the promises that were given to him by God. Now, you would have looked at these briefly in your studies yesterday, but there were three big promises, right? There was the promise of a great nation, promise of a promised land, and promise of blessing. All of those promises now apply to you if you're in Christ. First, you're part of a great nation. We've already kind of thought about that, but you're part of a community that's not just here. It actually spans the whole world. That has people from every nation and every tribe, and it is a nation that's going to stand forever. One day you'll be in heaven with people who have been following Jesus um, all throughout time, all united together under God. That is the promise for you. You're, a, you're part of a great nation. The second one is you'll inherit the promised land. We've already looked at this, but you have this incredible hope in, in life, right? You have a rock-solid, restored, reunited hope. And it is a hope that cannot be taken from you. We have that promised land that we know one day we'll inherit heaven. Third, you are, you are a blessing to the world. Now, this is a little bit funny one, but people everywhere are looking for a purpose, right? A reason to live, a goal, something to pursue. In Jesus, we are given the ultimate purpose. We live in a world that is cursed, stuck under the power of sin, heading to hell. And we have the message that can save them from eternity. We are people that know what we're on about here. There is no soul searching that needs to happen, no long years of, of not knowing what's the purpose of my life. We know what we're on about. And we can know that what we're on about is something that is eternally good. So good. The Christian life is a good life. But I want to say this, it is not an easy life. The Christian life isn't the life where you do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. But it is a life where you say no to a life that enslaves and choose true freedom. Freedom from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and the shame of sin. 
it isn't a life where you're going to fit in easily at school or in your sport teams, but it is a life where you get joined to a universal family, a life where you share the biggest thing in common with brothers and sisters all around the world. It isn't a life without any care or concern, but it is a life when you know what is really at stake, where your life can mean something, can make a difference that lasts into eternity. And it is a life that brings the greatest status, security, and intimacy that you could ever hope for, that you ever need. It is a life of hope, hope for the time, and for a time where we stand before the God of all, with people from every nation and tongue in the presence of our loving Savior. If you're a Christian, this is the life you've been given in Jesus. Don't forget that. Hold on to that. Remember that you're a free child of God. That you're united with Christians all around the world and you are heir to God's amazing promises. Don't give up that for slavery to this world. And if you are still here not yet trusting in Jesus, that is the life that is on offer for you. And so consider whether you want to be in today. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, As we look at your word and as we see all that you have done for us, um, we are blown away that you you are the one who would die for sinners. But Lord, we are more blown away again that not only did you die to save us, you died to bring us into what we've just heard about. You've died to free us from slavery. You died to bring us um, under you as children of God. You died to unify us together and to give us incredible promises. Lord, we ask that we would be holding on to you and we would never give those things up. And Lord, we pray particularly for those here who have not yet come to you, that they would be considering seriously whether they're willing to give up trusting themselves and fall in your grace and find all of your kindness. Amen.